Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Um, All right, good morning, everybody. My name's Patrick. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, I'm the one you have to listen to talk on quite a few Sundays. Um, You ever tell a story, this happens to me a lot, you ever tell a story and it's not getting the reaction you believe the story deserves? You know, it's funny and they're not laughing, it's sad and they're not crying, it's interesting and they're scrolling on their phone, you know? I've never experienced that while I'm preaching. But when that happens, there's not a lot of good ways out. Like, you can try to reemphasize what you're saying, you can be like, no, 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 really, this is hilarious, this is funny, this is sad. Uh, But eventually, if you give up and you're just like, I can't, you're you're clearly not getting what I'm putting down, you have to say something like, well, I guess you just had to be there, right? I guess you just had to be there. You had to experience it. You had to see it for yourself. For, For some of us, the experience of Christianity is the experience of not getting it, of not getting it. And what I mean by that is that it, it, well, it's kind of like when everybody laughs at a joke and you heard all the words, but you're not understanding why it's funny. Or when in school, when you were still like writing your name down on the quiz and everybody else was turning their I- theirs in, you're like, what, 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 am I not, what am I not understanding? Or have you ever gone to an unfamiliar church where they do things just a little differently and you're just sitting there? cruising along and all of a sudden everybody's getting down on their knees and you're like, oh, I did. Was there a secret signal? Okay. down." Or maybe somebody turns to you and says, peace be with you. And you're like, ah, right back at you, buddy. You know, you don't know what the secret interaction is supposed to be. I think for a lot of people, the experience of Christianity is one of kind of feeling like I want to get it. I want to understand what's going on. I want to be part of it. I want to participate, but I'm just not quite, I'm, I'm not quite there. For example, I witnessed somebody at our church engage in an an incredibly generous act. Uh, We had been been with a group of people, and we all became aware of this need at the same moment. And my reaction, my first reaction was like, wow, that sounds really tough. I hope they figure it out. And then the person next to me, their first reaction was, oh, I'm going to do something sacrificial to alleviate that problem that I just heard of. Now, some of you are like, is he talking about me? Sure, you can think I'm talking about you. That's totally fine if it makes you feel good. But I thought, and then I thought, well, wait a second. This is kind of frustrating because um, uh, that was the correct response, that what that person did was the correct response. And then I thought, what's wrong with me that that wasn't my response? That That wasn't even on my radar to do the right thing. How did I not even think about that? And then I thought, I'm the guy who gets up on stage and preaches and tries to encourage people to do the right thing, and I'm not even thinking the right thing. I'm not even reacting the right way. So I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Other people get it, and you don't. Other people are growing, and you're not. Other people's prayers are being answered, and yours aren't. Other people have meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life through their relationship with God, and you don't. I mean, at least, if nothing else, you should be further along. If you feel like in some way that describes you, well, I want to say two things to you. Number one, welcome to the club. Really, welcome to the club. Uh, My oldest was on a flight 
recently, and they, the, the landing was pretty rough. You ever been on one of those flights where you're like, oh, I get, this is going to be the, this is going to be the news story. This is it. This is it for all of us. And then you pull to the gate and it's fine, you know, no big deal. Uh, but she was on this flight uh, coming back from college and uh, landing was, was bad. And the pilot got on the intercom and said, uh, welcome to Minneapolis. Sorry about that rocky landing, but it wasn't too bad for my first try, right? <laughs> It's a, it's a good line. I, I think it's a good line. But, and obviously the pilot's joking, right? But if, they, if you were, if you got onto a plane, if you boarded a plane knowing that this was the first time your pilot had done this, you might not get on that plane, right? I, I, I think it's a weird experience for the guy who's preaching, the guy who's been studying the Bible, the guy who's been working all week to try to figure out exactly what, what, what needs to be said for that guy to get up here and say, he doesn't get it a lot. He messes up a lot. His first reaction isn't the correct reaction. He's got he's to be, be taught by other people what the right thing to do is. I mean, I, I think that you might be feeling like, mm, I'm not sure, maybe I shouldn't have come to church this morning. Maybe I should have gone somewhere where the pilot knows how to fly the plane. And I just want you to know, whether you like it or not, it's kind of too late, I guess you could storm out now, but whether you like it or not, you're at a church where even the guy on stage doesn't always get it doesn't always feel like he's got it figured out. Sometimes feels like he's behind everybody else. So if that, if that's, if that makes you nervous, well, sorry. It's the way it is. The second thing I want to say to you, if you feel like you should be further along than you are, is that this series is, is just for you. We're starting a brand new uh, sermon series today, and the sermon series is called There is a Light. There is a light. It's from one of the lines in that song uh, that we sang, Hope Has a Name. And, and the, the text we're going to be exploring is the first half of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. The first half of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. That's what uh, Mark read for us. In fact, one of the things we're going to do throughout the series is we're going to read the same text every Sunday from different versions of the Bible to get different flavors of, of what is being communicated there by uh, the author, by John. I think John is trying to help give us an experience. He's trying to help us get it. He's trying to explain to people who weren't there, who didn't walk with Jesus, who didn't sit around a campfire with Jesus, who didn't have meals with Jesus. He's trying to give them an experience of what it was like to be around Jesus. What, what was that like? What was that feeling? How, what would you observe, observed? What would you have ex- experienced being around Jesus? But before we start, you need to know a few things about the Gospel of John. John is very unique. Theologians call Matthew, Mark, Luke the synoptic gospels, which kind of it means they look the same or they're similar, the synoptic gospels, and then they just say John's doing its own thing. I've got a visual for you. I think that might help you understand what's going on. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're all dressed up for the family photo, and then you've got John, and he's just figuring, he's just doing his own thing. He's living his own life. He's expressing himself the way he wants to express himself. Now, I don't mean to imply that John's not serious. I just mean to imply John's got a different purpose in mind. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell a lot of the same stories. There's a lot of the biggest hits that you read about in the life of Christ in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So there's stuff like... uh, um, the, the uh, Jesus calming the storm, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, the Jesus establishing the Lord's Supper like we participated in this morning, the parables, a lot of the parables are similar. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount has elements throughout the different gospels. John has none of that, none of that. 
John, like all these other stories, are telling this chronological uh, uh, expose of what Jesus did. And John is like, oh, yeah, there was this time Jesus was at a wedding and they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mom said, hey, can you make more wine? And Jesus didn't want to make more wine, but then he ended up making more wine. And you're like, what, what was the theological lesson there? And scholars have been thinking about that for, for millennia. Like, what was, what was being communicated there? It's just totally different. None of the other gospel stories have that in it. So you get Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you're getting what happened, kind of like a newspaper article. And then John, I think, tells you what this felt like, what this experience was like. And so this is no knock on Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not like reading them is worse it's, it's incredibly important. They're inspired accounts of the life of Jesus, but John is just going for something different. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to get John's unique take on the Christmas story, the nativity story, the arrival of Jesus story. John, again, is doing something completely different than the other guys. So if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, you're probably familiar, but you can tell right off the bat, John's doing something different. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, you already hear the cadence of prose or poetry there. You already hear that. It's a little different. But even right at the, the, the very first words of the gospel, it's a big difference. So Mark uh, starts the story of Jesus when Jesus is an adult. He just jumps right in. Boom, there's Jesus. He's on the scene. He's teaching and preaching. Luke starts the story with Jesus as a baby. Every time you've heard about like Mary and Joseph and that whole situation and Mary's cousins and then Bethlehem and all that, that's all Mark. Mark tells the, he tells the narrative of Jesus as a baby. The Gospel of Matthew starts with a genealogy, which would have been very important to Hebrew thinkers, but it would have been like, okay, here's how Jesus is related to Abraham, and then you get all these names, all these generations, until you get to Jesus, and that's very important as well. John, he's like all the way back at the beginning of time, and you're like, whoa, John, okay, this is going to be intense. Imagine if you asked me, hey, Patrick, how did you and Corinne meet? And I said, well, at the beginning of all space and matter, you'd be like, uh-oh, this is going to take a while. I don't know that I want to sit through this. But that's, that's a funny way to start a story. In the beginning was the Word, the Word. Well, what's that about? What's going on there? What's the Word? So the Word, Word, means Word. <laughs> that's a pretty hard thing to remember, but maybe you could just you know, think about that a few times. The Word, Word, means Word. That's all it means. But when you say the word, you know something specific is being introduced or talked about. It's just like we do now, right? If I came up to you and say, did you hear the news? You might think like, well, I've heard news, but you're clearly thinking of something. Did I hear the news you're thinking about? Did you watch the game? Well, there's a specific game you have in mind. So what is the news? What is the game? What is the word. Now, we don't know. We can't crack open John's cranium and say, ooh, what exactly was John thinking every, with everything he wrote down? But we do know that John spent most of his ministry working at a church in Ephesus among Gentile believers. John wrote in Greek, and in Greek, 
there was a category for the word that existed. Now, again, we don't know exactly what John was thinking, but it makes sense to think that when John used the phrase, the word, he was thinking about what everybody else would be thinking when they used the phrase, the word. So the word in Greek is the logos, the logos. That's all, that's all it means. That's all, it's just a generic word. But when you say the, for example, if you like philosophy, Marcus Aurelius said this, and there's a lot of quotes like this. Wisdom is knowing the logos that extends through the whole of matter and governs the universe for all eternity. All right, that's something. Now, what does that mean to what John is saying? Now, you read a quote like that, and you're like, okay, I don't know much about Marcus Aurelius, Greek philosophy, what is all that? Maybe it would help to, it's kind of like what Yoda was getting at when he was trying to teach Luke the Force, right? There's kind of something there, like this thing that just exists. That's what Greek thinkers were thinking, this thing that is out there that gives animation and meaning and purpose to all life and reality. Oh, okay, it's a big one, it's a big one. We actually have a version of this idea in modern Western thought. You probably run into it whether or not you realized it. How many of you have a, how many of you have a friend who, who maybe isn't a Christian, but they would call themselves spiritual? You have someone like that? They're spiritual? Uh, they probably, I don't know, because I don't know your friends, but they would probably use uh, a phrase that has started to become more and more common. They might say something like, the universe. Have you ever heard that? The universe is telling me something, and you're like, the universe? How are you tuned in? How does that, why is the universe talking to you? I was reading a book by a guy named Rick Rubin. Anybody know who that is? He's this just legendary music producer. Music You Like was produced by him. He had an influence on things you like, everything from like Tom Petty to Metallica to ACDC. And I'm sure there's a lot of Metallica ACDC listeners in the room. I can, I can see it on your faces. Rick Rubin has been involved in all of that. And he wrote a book called The Creative Act. And I thought, I am very curious to know what does Rick Rubin think about creativity? I want to know. I want to hear his thoughts. And so I'm reading this book, and throughout the book, he has these quotes um, about the universe. For example, he talks about things that don't happen, uh, that, that things aren't just chance. He says things like, as it, it's as if the universe is nudging you with little reminders that it's on your side and wants to provide everything you need to complete your mission. All right. Here's another thing he says. It helps to realize that it's better to follow the universe than those around you. Now, some of you are thinking, that sounds as weird as he looks. <laughs> what is that? About halfway through this book, this is no joke, I had this little bit of epiphany, and I thought, interesting, if every time he uses the phrase the universe, I substitute the word God, it started to make sense. I was like, oh, I could get behind that. Now, this isn't Rick Rubin saying this, but I mean, that makes sense to me. It helps to realize that it's better to follow God than all those around you, right? We could agree with that. In fact, what Rick Rubin says, if you take out the universe and insert God, sounds like something you might hear on a Sunday morning, which leads me to conclude, unrelated to the point of the sermon, that there are a lot of people who long for, for truth and reality and wisdom that is higher than them. But they don't, they don't want to use the language of God. 
They don't want to use the language of Jesus. But they long for that. They long for, for the world to be cohesive and make sense and have a point and have a purpose. But they're hesitant to use the language that Scripture gives us. It's so fascinating to me that people do that. So if you're thinking, what does the word mean? And this isn't what John is saying, but this is what existed in John's world. The word meant this idea of this, this animating reality that existed in the universe and bound all things together. And so John knows that. He knows what people think. He knows what people are saying. So he knows that. Again, we don't know what he's thinking exactly, but he knows that that exists. So when you go back to John 1 and he uses that language, you know, I believe John is trying to pull in this, this idea that people already had a category for. And he's trying to teach them and say, that thing that you're calling the universe, Rick Rubin, that thing that you're just saying is the logos, that thing has a name. That thing is a person. That thing is Jesus Christ. He is the animating force that gives life and meaning and purpose to the whole universe. And you're like, oh, okay, all right, that's pretty good. Now, some of you are like, well, you know, that's a lot of weight to put on that one verse and that one word in that one verse. Well, Paul talked about it too, Colossians 1.17. Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Or how about uh, the author of Hebrews? We don't know exactly who it was because whoever wrote Hebrews didn't say, hey, it's me, I'm writing Hebrews. But Hebrews 1.3 said, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Interesting, huh? John goes big. I told you, John's doing something different than everybody else. Now, by the way, this is important, right? It's not like John was just minding his own business, walking down the street one day, and he saw Jesus, and he's like, oh, Jesus, you're the meaning and purpose for the whole entire world. No, John spent years hearing Jesus, walking with Jesus, being taught by Jesus, being shaped by Jesus before it began the truth, the reality, began to dawn on him about who he was actually having breakfast with, who he was walking by. It wasn't something quick. It wasn't something fast. It was something that took, took time, something that dawned over the course of a long time. In fact, there's a lot of scholars who believe the book of John, the Gospel of John, wasn't written for, for decades after the, the, the death of Christ, potentially four decades after the life of Christ. So John's nativity scene starts with, he is the source, the word is the source of all reality. All right, that's big. Now, some of you are like, oh, great, right? You know, I never cared for philosophy. I need like concrete ideas. I don't need any of this abstract stuff. What am I supposed to do? Walk around saying, hey, everybody, Jesus is the source of all reality. What good does that do them? What good does that do me? That's too big a thought. How do we understand that? What is, how does that break down into, into our world? What does that mean? Good thing John's not done. He says in verse 3, he says, all things came into being through him and apart from him. Not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Again, you can hear the flow of poetry. The phrase, or the, the phrase come into being is actually just one word in the Greek, so the English kind of makes it a little bit more clunky, but you can hear that poetry in there. Now, this is really important, and it's going to be really important in a few verses that he establishes this idea, but it's, we won't get in it, into it today, maybe, maybe next Sunday. But I want you to look at verse 4. In him, in him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. 
Years ago, I took the youth group to Valley Fair, and I had the unfortunate uh, luck of every time we went to Valley Fair, which is an amusement park, by the way, um, every time we went to a Valley Fair, I picked this day that had terrible weather, which there's advantages. It's bad weather. There's very few people at the park, and the lines are short, so that was nice. Uh, the downside is one time we went, there was a tornado, <laughs> uh, but we are there for thrills, so I said, kids, you know, it's just all part of the package. We got the VIP experience here. Well, it got so bad, you know, it was kind of drizzly, rainy, and it just kept getting worse. The clouds kept getting darker and darker, and finally it was like, I hate to do this, but let's call it, you know, it was like five or six o'clock, and it was just like pitch black, dark outside. And I was like, we got to get out of here. And as we were trying to exit the park, uh, they shut everything down. The, the tornado sirens went off. Now, everybody that works at that park is about 16 years old. I was probably the oldest person <laughs> in the entire place. So I've got the youth group and I got all these 16-year-olds and they're all, the, the, the workers are telling us what to do. So they, they take us into their storm shelter. I don't know if any of the older youth group kids remember this, but they take us into their storm shelter, uh, which happened to be bathrooms. They're just bathrooms near the entrance. And so we walk into these two bathrooms, you know, male, guys, girls' bathrooms, everybody's kind of divided up. And these bathrooms are pitch black. They are dark and you are crowded in there with strangers and everything stuffy and everything sweaty and you could just feel kind of the tension, the, the unease in the room. You could just feel the uncertainty and the, uh, the, there's no comfort here. And then finally, someone had the bright idea, no pun intended, to turn on their flashlight on their phone. And it just was weird, that little light in that dark room, and you could just kind of see, begin to see the, the discomfort just ease a little bit, just with a little bit of light, just a little bit of brightness in, in, a, in a dark place. I actually thought about doing this this morning, and it didn't work out, but I was like, we're going to turn all the lights off in the room. And we're going to make it really uncomfortable. I was going to black out the, that over there. And I have a blank slide. The next slide was going to be blank. And I was so excited. And I marked all the switches, which ones need to go off. And then this week, they came and decorated for the, for the thing. And I was like, man, I'm going to be up here unplugging stuff. And it's just going to, it's not going to work. But my goal was, my intentions were to create that, just that small experience of unease, uncertainty. I don't like it. I don't like this experience of, of not being able to see what's around me. It makes me uncomfortable. And then I would plug it back in and we'd all be, you know, but it didn't work. So I just wanted you to know I had good ideas and it didn't work. The funny thing about being in that, that bathroom with all those people is there's still a tornado siren going off. It's not like any of the circumstances changed, but just a little bit of light introduced into the situation made a tremendous difference. So when John says, hey, everybody, gather around. This is four decades after he's been with Jesus, after Jesus has died, resurrected. Talk about confusing. Died, been resurrected, and ascended. Four decades later, Jesus says, or John says, okay, gather around. I want to tell you what it was like. Remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, tell you what happened, and John seems to tell you, but this is what it felt like. And he says, you want to know what it was like being around Jesus? Man, it was, like, it was like the experience of being around light. It was like someone had turned on a light in a dark room. Just like Matt was saying during the communion talk earlier, the world's broken. But then there's this one 
person that begins to set it right, this one being that begins to take everything and reshape it and reform it and to heal and teach and truth, and that one person, this light shines like a beacon in a dark place, and people begin to, to, to want to be around that. And certain, certainly people were afraid of it because they were losing control. There were religious leaders that didn't want to have anything to do with them. But so many people who were broken themselves, who wanted healing, were attracted to the light. They wanted to be around what Jesus was doing. He says, it's like light. Now, light is a big deal in the Bible. It's a big deal in life, right? But particularly in the Bible, I want you to just consider the places where where scripture talks about light in relationship to our, uh, to our relationship with God. Like, what's the very first words God ever speaks? The very first words God ever vocalizes is, let there be light, right? All the way back in the book of Genesis. It's the very first thing that he says. In Exodus, God led his people out of slavery through the wilderness with a pillar of light, a pillar of fire by day, a pillar of cloud by night. In Leviticus, he commanded them, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build this tabernacle and then later a temple, and there's going to be these candles, and I want you to have priests that keep those candles lit constantly because I want people to understand that where I am present, there is light. And so you keep those candles lit constantly. In Numbers, um, the blessing that, 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 that Moses spoke from God over the priests, he said, may God's face shine upon you. To live a blessed life is to have God shining on you, God's light. In Deuteronomy, uh, Moses' face was glowing after he had been just near the presence of God. So much so, the story's kind of hilarious, so much so that they made him put a bag over his head because he was freaking everybody out because Moses had been near God. Moses was somehow glowing, and they're like, this is a little freaky, Moses. If you want to hang out with us, you've got to do something about that. And so the Bible says they put a veil over Moses because he had been exposed to the light, and he was glowing. In Psalms, David says that God is his light and his salvation. In Isaiah, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9 that there will be a light a light that dawns, a light that comes. And this is just a tiny little sliver of all the times light is spoken of in Scripture. Light is truth. Light is goodness. Light is presence. Light is hope. Now, each of those could themselves be a sermon series. We could break it down that way and talk about each, how light is each one of those things. Um, yesterday, in fact, uh, at, at Hope Academy, uh, one of the things that I was tasked with, me and Jonathan back there, we were tasked with uh, making a video to help other people who have never been to the Hope Academy store understand what the Hope Academy store experience is like. So we were told, hey, that person would be good uh, to talk about it. So we had these people who were going through, uh, they were shopping for their kids, and they just really appreciated it. So we'd sit down with them and talk to them. Well, before the camera started rolling, one lady we were talking to, her name's Stephanie. She had been working at Hope Academy for several years, and she had an 18-year-old graduate just, just not too long ago. And, she, and we were talking a little bit about Hope, how Hope Academy uh, is half, uh, the, the building they're in, half of the building is this medical facility. And they've just been able to purchase this medical facility and expand what they're doing. They're doing this incredible thing, and they're, now they're expanding. But she was telling us, she said, it's kind of crazy because... When I was pregnant with my 18-year-old, I went to the other side of this building, and I was going to abort him. And 18 years later, he graduated from Hope Academy. Wow. 
And I thought, that's just, like, it gave, kind of gave me chills to think about. And we talked about that, uh, you know, I helped her carry some stuff to her car, and we talked about that for a long time. Just what a different situation that is, how, how God has taken something that just feels so dark, and he started to introduce light, and the light is taking over that space. I love that. I love that image. I love that idea. I want to I leave you with um, an illustration a story. Uh, some of you may have come across it, and I just think it exemplifies what light looks like in dark circumstances. Um, you guys know the Hebrew blessing, the, the, the Hebrew word when, when, when they greet one another, but it, but it has this deep um, uh, resonance. But the, the Hebrew blessing is the word shalom, right? You've probably heard that before. And it's, it means peace, but that's just like scratching the surface. It just means like a life like, may God bless you and keep you. May, you know, may God be beside you. May God's face shine on you. It just mean, it means all of that. And so when you're greeting somebody with the words shalom, you're saying, I want God to do that for you. I want God to shine on you. Well, you can't have not heard the news over the last month and a half. Uh, there was this horrific events are taking place. And, and unfortunately, they've sort of divided the, the discourse in our, in, in our world, even here in the States. But on October 7th, uh, a lot of Palestinian militant men with guns came in and massacred uh, the, the count is somewhere around 1,400 uh, Israelis that lived near the Gaza Strip. And I realize some of you are like, yeah, but what about the long-term history? I don't care about that. I just want to tell you a story. Just one little small sliver of light in the middle of, of just this dark circumstance. One of the people who was kidnapped, there's 150 or so people kidnapped, and one of them was an 85-year-old woman named Yakoved Lifshitz. This is a picture of her, Yakoved Lifshitz. She's 85, which means she was born before Israel was even a nation. She was born in what was then Palestine before uh, it was divided up and given part of it to Palestine and part of it to uh, Israel. So the Palestinian conflict in her has been going on her entire life. Her and her husband, reading some, some articles, I you know, obviously don't know her, but her and her husband had been relief workers. And so there were, there were people who had such severe medical issues in the Gaza Strip that the doctors and the hospitals couldn't care for them. So her and her husband, Israelis, would go to the border and they would take these people to the hospitals in Tel Aviv where the, there were doctors and there were facilities that could handle what these people needed. That's what they had done with their life. And of course, she's 85 and she's retired now, not working now. Um, she lived near the Gaza Strip and one of those kibbutzes right near uh, where everything happened. And she was taken hostage on October 7th uh, so was her husband. Her house was burned to the ground. And in their small little town of uh, 200 people, 50 of them were killed. So friends, neighbors. And she was taken hostage. She describes what it was like being thrown on a motorcycle. And she was beaten as she was taking, being taken into uh, captivity. She and another elderly woman were the very first hostages released. released. I guess the second uh, group of hostages released because of health concerns and needs and they were let go by their captors. Uh, and there's this incredible picture that I wanted to show you. Next slide if you go. And this is, this is Yaakoved. And you can see the Hamas captors with the masks and the headbands. And she's reaching back to them. And she's grabbing their hand. And the video, if you want to watch it, she's speaking to this captor 
and she's saying shalom. And she's being released from captivity. And I remember reading that, and, and just the thing that gets lost in all the, the, the discourse, all the, the internet, all the, the, the Twitter, all, the, all that junk is the, the real life human interactions between people who are caught up in stuff that nobody really truly wants. They're caught up by evil and ideology. And, and for her to look at the person who had taken her and held her captive and to reach out and grab them and speak shalom, may God's blessing be upon you. I was reading that, you, you get chills thinking, that is... That is the experience of truth and goodness and presence and hope. Now, we're going to talk about this in this series, but that is what we're called to reflect in the world, that sort of light. Maybe we won't be in those circumstances, but that sort of light we're called to share, to, to reflect off God to the world around us. Now remember, John is all about the experience of Jesus, and so you're with John Someday you get to have a conversation with them and you say, let's go on a walk. I want to hear what it was like to be with Jesus. And John would say, well, here's what it's like. It's, it's like when things are dark and they feel hopeless and God feels distant and things don't feel true, that there is a light. There is a being that expresses what it is to be with God, to be around God. Someone has every right to seek revenge and they offer blessing. Someone could respond with darkness and they respond with light. So let me say this as we wrap up. A lot of us wrestle with the feeling like, man, I just don't get Christianity sometimes. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't have all the answers. I feel like other people get it or I feel like my prayers aren't answered or I feel like sometimes the songs that I sing aren't empty or I don't have the experience. Well, let me just tell you that you're not alone in that. You're not alone in that. There's a lot of people who, who wrestle with that. But John wants us to know at least one thing. This, this reality, the source of all reality in the world has come, and he is the light. Let me read John 1, 4 as we wrap up. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up on stage. I want to read this for you one more time. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, life. And that life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. We're going to stand together, and we're going to sing a song together in closing.